Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface. And after his failure to lead Scotland to the knockout stages, despite trying out every Scottish cliche under the sun, it's the whiskey-drinking, kilt-wearing, shortbread-eating, Kayleigh-dancing haggis connoisseur, Alex Crook. <laughs> I, di- I didn't try shortbread, um, but I did try pretty much everything else. Um, and as you say, it wasn't quite enough to inspire Scotland. So I'm back now on English shores and I've dug out my England shirt from the 2002 World Cup. That switched more times than Declan Rice. Also with us, TalkSport's European football expert whose knowledge of the Bundesliga is so strong that he can tell you exactly how England will lose to Germany this time around. <laughs> it's Kevin Hatchard. Uh, ready for the big one I've uh, dug out. Just for balance, I do want England to win, but just for balance, I've dug out the old Germany shirt. Just ready for the big occasion. Uh, plus, we look at the rest of the tasty last 16 games and Sweden against Ukraine, which includes some absolute belters. Wales take on Denmark, the Dutch face the Czechs, France take on Switzerland, Croatia take on Spain and the second best tie of the round, it's Belgium against Portugal. We look ahead to it all on the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Eskop nach Hals, Kevin! Yeah. But that translates to... It's coming home, right? And yeah. it was on the official German Twitter feed late last night. <laughs> I thought. Sehr gut, sehr gut, natürlich. Yeah. Yeah. That's about the extent of my German. What happens in Germany is I tried for a while to learn. And what would happen is I would use my German and they would always reply to me in English. And you got <laughs> to the stage where you realized as honorable as you wanted to be and you wanted to learn German going over there all the time, you realized your German would never be as good as their English. So it becomes quite disheartening after a while. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that the, the, the German Twitter feed, the official, uh, that I, I'm not going to call them uh, the national man sharp because they don't actually like that phrase. German no, they fans don't. don't like they that don't. phrase. That is something that Angela Merkel sort of tried to sort of Politicized marketing more than anything else. Yeah, it was a bit of a marketing tool, wasn't it? Um, but um, the, the, the fact that they put "It's Coming Home" on their on, on their uh, Twitter feed, I thought was quite funny. How had the German media reacted to this historic fixture, fixture getting thrown up again? I think there's a bit of concern in the sense that there was alarm about the way they played against Hungary. Um, I think they're delighted to have got through, but I think the feeling is that they're aware England won't be scared of them. They're aware that England will have seen the weaknesses, will have seen how chaotic it was towards the end of that Hungary game. Because Mm. what you have to bear in mind is that this is a team that went into this tournament short on rhythm, with big question marks over the formation. Was the formation the right one? Were all the pieces in the right place? And what we saw against France was a, a disappointing performance in attack, certainly, it all kind of got temporarily wiped away 
that anxiety by the win over Portugal. But then you go back to the same old problems. Moving the ball far too slowly uh, against a deep back five, which is what Hungary played. Not enough creativity in midfield. And then defensively, real weaknesses. So while I think there's excitement about facing England again, I think there's a fair bit of trepidation as well. Yeah, if England get past this, well, let's not go there. Uh, but Crook, anyone who thinks that England might have got stitched up here might have a cause for complaint, mightn't they? Because uh, England found themselves in this wonderful situation where if they'd won the group, which they did, they get Germany. If they'd come second in the group, they got Spain. If they finished third in the group, they got the Netherlands. How, how, how does that work out? <laughs> Well, I have to say, um, trying to, to work out that the various permutations was driving you mad. I think it was uh, Monday night, was it, before the last uh, round of games in England's group? It was driving me mad. And I still don't quite understand that, that you know, how each third-place teams end up where they are. I'm a little bit torn on, on the, the four third-place teams going through. It made for wonderful entertainment on Wednesday night, but it, it does take away a, a fair amount of jeopardy, but I agree with Simon Jordan on Twitter on Thursday morning. Gareth Southgate must have been born holding a four-leaf clover because it's history repeating. You know the way the draw opened up for England at the World Cup; it's happened again. And I would go as far as to say now, when you consider they're taking on a fairly shambolic German team, if they don't make the semi-final, arguably if they don't make the final on that half of the draw, I think it will be an underachievement, and that's a, a complete reversal of what I said at the start of the tournament when I didn't see England as semi-finalists but the way it's opened up I mean I think but it hasn't they're the highest ranked team on that it, half it of the draw it hasn't opened up yet because they've still got to face Germany and you can talk yeah, about this rankings is not Germany of old like. it's take not the neighbour away take the rivalry away okay let's talk about the players that are in that team Manuel Neuer is still one of the best goalkeepers in the entire world they've got a Champions League winner at the heart of defence in Rudiger from the last couple of weeks. They've got Mats Hummels, who's one of the most experienced central defenders. Okay, he's a little bit slow, but he reads the game better than most. They've got Joshua Kimmich, as Kevin has taught me to say, Joshua uh, Kimmich, uh, playing at right wing, who's absolutely superb. They've got Tony Crows, who is at Real Madrid and has been absolutely sensational for the last 10 years in midfield alongside Gundogan, who's just won the title with Manchester City. I mean, it ain't all bad, is it, Kevin? No, I mean, the weak link, strangely enough, is the coach, because I think that's where the majority of the concerns are at right now, because you look at the end of that Hungary game, and Raphael Honigstein, the German football expert, had a great line in his article about the piece. It was like somebody playing a video game, just trying to hammer the buttons <laughs> and see what would work. Uh, and that's how it felt, because he threw on all of the attacking weapons that he had. In the end, Jamal Musiala, just 18, was able to actually make uh, a key contribution. It was his dart into the box that led to Goretzka scoring the equaliser. But they're going to have to really work hard to be in a stable position. But I agree with you, Sam. You dismiss this German side at your peril because they have so much experience. And what I loved about the aftermath of that game against Hungary was the lack of celebration. You look at the face of Joshua Kimmich, he was furious, absolutely furious with the way that they performed. You could see it on his face. He's a competitor. Müller's a competitor. Neuer's a competitor. All of these guys will be working ever so hard to make sure the performance is better. And the one thing Yogi Love said in his presser that I thought was really interesting is, the one thing I can assure you is we won't play like this against England. 
Okay, uh, we will get into the tactical details of it and how England should approach the game in just a moment. A couple of group stage highlights, please. What was your group stage highlight? I mean, it must be seeing Scotland score a goal at a major tournament for the first time in 23 years. That was great. Um, I nearly lost my voice commentating that goal. Um, but for me, still the goal from the halfway line um, from Patrick Schick in the first game at Hamden. But, but again, the, the drama of... Um, of Wednesday evening, the fact that England's opponents changed six or seven times over the course of the evening and then the, the group actually ended up finishing exactly as it started. So, yeah, for, for me, those would, would be the highlights. And I did enjoy England nil, Scotland nil, I think, because I was watching it in Glasgow uh, with ardent Scotland supporters, a couple of Rangers legends. I really got into that game. Um, I, and I your commentary, it. Sam. Oh, you're very, being very kind. Um, I enjoyed the closing. What, you're, are you all right? Is everything okay? Have you got a temperature? Um, I enjoyed the closing night of uh, groups. <laughs> oh, if you're being sarcastic, uh, enjoyed the closing night of groups F and E. Uh, I wasn't involved, so it was quite nice actually. You could sort of sit back like you and and watch the most terrific climax in both. 18 goals, the most on a single day at a European Championships. Brilliant. And I thought this was a really fascinating stat. Maybe the stat of the tournament. This is the number of minutes that each team has spent in a losing position in Group F. Hungary, six. France, 35. Portugal, 64. Germany, 161, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, well hungry. It's interesting that Yogi Love has, has kind of drawn attention to the mentality, and that's true. You know, they've had to really kind of dig deep in some games. Hungary, I think, can count themselves pretty unlucky. Yeah. I mean, they've performed really well in all three games. Yeah. Nobody really gave them much of a chance, especially after Soboslai was, was injured who's their best player, but they have shown that not only could they defend well, but some of the goals they scored were terrific. Fiola's goal, goal against, against France. Yeah, the goal that put them 2-1 up was terrific. And you, you look at the way they've performed, that's a building block for them, I think, going forward. I was, it was interesting, Crookie talking about his kind of moments of the tournament so far. I had a couple that really sprung to mind. The Andreas Christensen goal for Denmark against Russia. Not only an amazing goal, but just the outpouring of emotion that followed it. I thought that was absolutely terrific. And that, again, one of the moments that reinforces the idea that we need the fans. I mean, that was absolutely terrific to see them go wild after that one went in. And also Connor Roberts scoring that goal against Turkey. Uh, The look of pure pride and joy on his face. And I felt like that was a really important moment for Wales because for some of the guys that weren't involved in Euro 2016, they needed their moment. Guys like Bale and Ramsey have had theirs. The younger guys needed theirs. And I felt like that really was it. Uh, Obviously, the networks chose their games early in the group stage and switching from BBC One to BBC Two or ITV to ITV4 is not easy, as we think. It's not like when we decide, oh, actually, this game is coming off TalkSport 2, it's going on TalkSport. But I've watched Denmark versus Russia and Ukraine versus Austria on BBC Two and ITV4 over the last couple of days instead of the headline acts. And they have been the better game. Sometimes it's a shame they're on at the same time, all these matches, because you can't concentrate on absolutely everything. But I suppose they wouldn't be as dramatic if they weren't. It it was hard on Wednesday night because I was watching um, Portugal against France and you were flooding our WhatsApp group with what was happening in the Germany game. And I tried to to watch both at the same time, but your WhatsApp messages were coming through ahead of the online stream of the (laughs) Germany game. So I just gave up at the end. It was impossible. And I thought I'd just listen to your text commentary instead. 
<laughs> I, was a, I was in a bar, actually, uh, with a guy uh, from uh, a foreign TV station. Because you know, we're all in the, this hotel bubble stuff where we don't really go anywhere else apart from our hotels, stadiums, hotels, studios, etc., etc. And I was at uh, Wembley, and uh, I went up into the bar, and I sat down, and there was only me and another guy there. And, you know, after a while, you sort of say, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Ah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a commentator, he said, from, uh, from a foreign TV station. I said, oh, great. I said, I, funny enough, I work, I work for ITV. He says, oh, hello. He says, oh, ITV. Yes, I've been watching quite a bit of that. He said, I must say, I really, really got angry about the decision to, uh, and he goes, oh, I, I don't know, maybe you were a friend of, uh, uh, of Sam Matterface. Uh, but I was <laughs> very, very upset about the decision to replace Clive, I went, just stop you there. I am Sam Matterface. Hello, nice to meet you. The look of absolute crestfallen disappointment, sadness, and embarrassment was hilarious. Um, and, uh, and, and he paid for all my drinks all night as a result of that. So Wonderful. Every cloud. Wonderful. That's when you either leg it or you double down, isn't it, really? I <laughs> he, think. Just, he, just, he just went... I'm so sorry. I've never even heard you commentate. Uh, right. Four times, four times England have faced Germany in the knockout game since 1966 and lost them all. Let's see if we can find a way to make a bit of history. Gareth has his 2020 vision, but can it come to fruition in 2021? Grealish now, faced up by two, chips it in towards the far post and it's headed in! What a start from England! For the first time since the 1966 World Cup, England get out of the group of a major tournament without conceding a single goal. They're all good teams, aren't they? So whoever we play, we either play the world champions, the European champions or that team that we know so much about over the years. Germany progress into the round of 16 at these Euros and they will come to Wembley where they will face England. You know and I know the footballing gods had Germany on their way to Wembley before this game even kicked off. Driven England to score and Germany are level. It's a lifeline for the Germans and Goretzka is on target. What a game we've got in front of us now. Absolutely outstanding. So England take on Germany on Tuesday night at Wembley. How do they get at Germany? Speed is important, right, Kevin? Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think you look at the way that Hungary were able to unlock that German defence, spaces in between centre-backs. There was there were so many errors in the build-up to Adam Soloy's headed goal, which was a great goal for Hungary, but they didn't stop the cross. They didn't track the run of Soloy. And, you know, he's not an easy guy to miss. He's huge. So, you know, and he's not the quickest. So for him to get that amount of space in the penalty area is a real concern. I think the runs of Raheem Sterling could be crucial. I think his runs in between centre-backs, his runs in behind, uh, I think could be very, very important. And also there isn't a huge amount of covering pace in midfield for Germany. Kroos and Gundogan, we know, are terrific on the ball defensively they're not the best. And so I think that midfield battle is going to be key as well. I'll be really interested to see whether Gareth Southgate considers a back five instead of a back four. Because if you look at Germany's route through, if you look at those two games, Portugal and Hungary, Portugal, narrow back four, Gozens and Kimmich found so much space out wide. They were able with that front three to create those wide overloads. And Portugal were never really able to adjust and deal with that. 
Hungary, deep back five, Germany had no way through, found it really, really difficult. And it was only by throwing the kitchen sink at it towards the end that they found a way through. So I do think England have the personnel for that. Gareth Southgate's kept his fullbacks fairly, you know, out of the attack so far. And that was a criticism of, towards him in the Scotland game. Yeah. But I think he'll have to do that. I think they can't afford to be too attacking if he's going to play a back four because that's where Gozens and Kimmich come alive. Okay, Crook, are you going for back three or back four? I think based on what Kevin has said there, I think Gareth Southgate is astute enough to, to, to realise that maybe almost replicating what Hungary did and going for the back five is possibly the best game plan. And I think, I thought all the way along that up against a powerhouse and Germany still fall into that category, that a back five is England's best route. They've got the personnel to play that. Harry Maguire now will have benefited from feeling his way into the tournament with that game against the Czech Republic. So I would be surprised if he doesn't go with a back five. Yeah, Gary Neville uh, is pretty sure that he's going to go with uh, the three at the back for this, which is he's suggesting it will be Pickford in goal, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Trippier or James, Henderson, Phillips and Shaw. Saka, Kane and Sterling. Saka sort of almost played his way into the first eleven, just because of the fact that he has the ability to drag you so far up the pitch so quickly and he, he wriggles through the tightest of spots. It, would that be 34, 35 games in a row that England have changed their, their starting eleven? Yeah, probably. Um, I haven't got the statistics in front of me, but I imagine that they've changed it. I can't remember the last time they kept an unchanged team. But I think Does that's that okay. you in any way. No, I think it's great. I think it's, it, it shows their strength in depth and it shows that they're tactically flexible, which was one of the uh, things they were accused of not being uh, three years ago. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if you've got the ability to change it, we do get such... And I, I find this myself. I, I did this when I was talking about Spain in the build-up to the tournament. I think we sometimes get sucked into this idea of a best 11. Yeah. But actually what you want is you want, okay, this is how they play. Let's match up. Thomas Tuchel's very good at this. He will look at the opposition and he will change things around to negate what they do without losing the identity of what he does. That's yeah. the key. What you find sometimes is coaches who are too reactive and they're so obsessed with the opposition, they forget what they're good at. And that's the allegation that's been kind of pushed against Pep Guardiola at times in the Champions League, that he's so obsessed with negating the opposition he forgets what his teams do well so I don't think that's a problem to chop and change as long as you make the right decisions yeah I think the, the, the one thing I'll be worried about with Germany was the thing I saw in the, the, the Portugal game is that the, the, the switches of play from right to left very very quickly they make the pitch so wide they literally play it from one touchline to the other and that can unsettle you as a back line in England you've got to be really careful they've been so good at keeping clean sheets I think eight of the last nine and the only goal they've conceded during that period was when uh, John Stones basically gifted a goal to Jakob Mudder um, the Polish midfielder during a World Cup qualifier they, 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 they've got to make sure that they keep their distances right they make uh, themselves aware of that possible switch of play because it can be incredibly dangerous and as we said before the Scotland game is it about playing the game and not the occasion? Because Kevin will tell us that this is a far bigger game uh, for, for the English than it is for, for Germany. Their, their, their big rivalry these days is with Holland. And I think maybe there's a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to England against Germany because of Italia 90, because of Euro 1996. Yeah. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere inside Wembley. You think it could work the other way around, though? Because England's biggest problem with, with Scotland was that they were expected to go out and beat Scotland. I think this time... then. 
the sort of history suggests that they're not expected to beat Germany. You know, they are the underdogs in, in a sense. So they can get away with being a little bit more aggressive and trying to hit on the counter-attack. Possibly, although again, if you look at our WhatsApp group last night and uh, we've got some very uh, ardent England fans on that, they were all very bullish. You know, this Germany team of rubbish will definitely beat Germany. So I, th- I think the mentality will be that England are the favourites and, and probably rightly so on form. You'll point to that win against Portugal, but Kevin will tell us that was a bit of a freak result really when you look at Germany over the past couple of years. I, I think England have to go out and express themselves man for man. I think they're a better team than this Germany team. And if they don't let that emotion sweep them away, I think they could win quite comfortably. See, man for man, I don't think they are better than Germany. But what I do think they are is a more settled unit. I think they work better as a team. There's more cohesion there. There's more tactical responsibility there. I think if you went through the teams and you were talking about CVs and technical quality more often than not, the Germans would come out on top. But I think the key is actually going to be who, who does deal with the occasion better. And I think England do have pressure because I do think England fans feel this more than Germany fans do. I do think England fans are starting to look ahead and starting to talk, talk about how the draws opened up and starting to already plot their route to the final. That is the Wembley that's, that's factor. dangerous, isn't it? You know, it is. It's is really dangerous. dangerous. And there's the Wembley factor as well. So all of the... All of the pressure, I think, is on England. This Germany team, I think, obviously, the German fans want them to go all the way and win it. And there is a level of expectation there that it would be silly to say there's not. But I do think there's a lot of pressure on England and it's how they deal with that. And I don't think against Scotland, they dealt with it particularly well. They've got to kind of cut out all the background noise and just deal with the actual game itself. We haven't even mentioned the Gareth Southgate factor, the chance for retribution for him for that missed penalty at Euro 96. I'm sure he's going to be asked about it in every press conference between now and the game. But that's another really fascinating narrative to, to what is always a, a tremendous event. But there again, all that stuff you have to shut out. And there will be. He's going to be asked about it relentlessly and all the talk will be Euro 96 and all of this. They have to shut all of that out and just concentrate on the game itself because it's so easy to be distracted by all that background noise. Last thing we'll say about this before we move on to the other games uh, quickly is that England have been targeting this game for a long time. I think you'll find that I've mentioned it several times to Crook. This day in the diary is the most important one that England will face at this European Championships. The reason I believe that is because I was at the draw in Bucharest in Romania in November, December 2019. And um, the draw was made, went into the big media hall and was waiting for for Gareth Southgate to come up. He walked over and I said, oh, you must be pretty happy with the draw that you've got because you know a couple of the teams really well. And he said, yeah, but the first game out of the group is going to be the most difficult one we play immediately. That was his fir- the first words out of his mouth. So I think, bearing in mind that I know how astute he is and how he will keep that date on his calendar as the target date, I think he would have been thinking about this game and how to handle this game for a very, very long time. Right, okay, let's uh, have a look at the rest of the England uh, half of the draw. And it also includes Wales. Bale is still going. Plays it short. Yes! Shot in! And Wales have done it! Wales have won this game by two goals to nil. Joachim Bale! Right footed from the edge of the area. The Danes have a four. Brassi to drive it in low and it's guided in. And Italy leads. And what's a moment for Pacino? 
An opportunity here and Austria have scored. It's come from the corner from Alaba. And that is a great goal for Austria with Baumgartner. Ireland for Dubai and put in by Van Allen for three. And a Dutch of three goals to the good. Two foul who crosses to the near post and the header into the bottom corner. And the Czech Republic take the lead. Lukaku turns and spins and scores. 2-0 to Belgium. Top of the table. Right-footed sends the keeper the wrong way. It's 2-2. And Portugal are back in the tournament. Kovacic rolls it into Modric. Who finds the corner. Gives Croatia the lead. And now it's 3-0 to Spain. And they can now start planning for the round of 16. Zuber into Jonas Shakiri. And that might just seal the passage through to the knockout stages for Switzerland. Good opportunity, playing inside the right-hand side of the air for Benzema, who knocks it across the face of the goalkeeper and in off the post. France have scored. Grealish now, faced up by two, chips it in towards the far post and it's headed in. What a start from England. It's a lifeline for the Germans. And Goretzka is on target. Hungarian defence has been breached. Larsen celebrates. He's just scored a goal that's not Poland out of the Euros. Sweden will go back top of Group B. Corner taken, rolls across the goal. Yarmolenko for Ukraine. They couldn't meet in a semi-final, could they? Well, you never know. Uh, Wales against Denmark is Saturday, 5 o'clock, live on TalkSport. I think... When they had the prospect of Russia or Finland, I was pretty confident about Wales actually progressing through to the quarterfinals. But there seems to be a little bit of a narrative behind Denmark, and quite rightly so. The game is going to be in Amsterdam. And although I expect quite a few Welsh supporters to, to, to invade the Dutch territory, I can see the Amsterdam arena being awash with red shirts come Saturday evening. Yeah. And um, I agree with you. I think against Finland or Russia, I'd have given Wales a fantastic uh, opportunity to advance the quarterfinals. But I think Denmark have, have really used the, the horrendous situation involving Christian Eriksen to galvanise them as a group of players. And I think everybody was, like Kev, absolutely delighted when Christensen smashed in that rocket to take them into the next stage. Um, I think Simon Kerr, for me, has been one of the players of the tournament, both in terms of the character that he showed in the immediate aftermath of Ericsson's collapse and his performances at the heart of that Denmark defence. The, the same can be said of Kasper Schmeichel. And even without Ericsson, they've, they've shown that they have plenty of attacking riches going forward. I think this is a really difficult game for Wales. And I would go as far now to say I would be surprised if they managed to get through to a quarterfinal. I make Denmark favourites. I think they are favourites, but I think there are weaknesses there. And I think Wales have shown a real cohesion and a real willingness to dig in. If you go back to that Swiss game, they were second best in that. They should really have lost the game. If, if you look at the chances Switzerland made, if you look at the territory Switzerland had. Totally. But they found a way to grab an equaliser. They basically played an away game in Baku against Turkey. And I thought they played ever so well in that game. And Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey give them a chance in any game. And I think they believe that. And I think having seen the tangible difference those two were able to make uh, against Turkey, I could see that happening again. I think they'll look to keep it tight. Denmark, I mean, we shouldn't forget that, you know, in losing Christian Eriksen and, you know, you take all of the kind of tragedy and, and put that aside, if you were purely looking on a football perspective, he's their best player. Mm. He's their most creative player. He's their biggest goal threat. And so they've done really well to mitigate that. 
But going forward in the tournament, I do think it will make it itself felt, the fact that he's not there pulling the strings. It has provided an opportunity for young Damsgaard to come into the, the team and make an impact. And he scored a terrific goal at the weekend, becoming Denmark's youngest ever goal scorer at a major tournament, Euros and World Cup. He's got a, a huge future, that lad. And I wonder what influence he will have on the game. Likewise, Kiefer Moore, who will come back into the side after missing the previous match because the possibility was that he could have been suspended. Ben Davis and Mepham too for Wales. They got moved around by a super fit, supercharged Italy B team. And Kasper Hjolman, who is the Danish coach, is really tactically clever. He's well studied and he knows what works. And they don't lose many games. No, they don't. And that's why a lot of people were touting them as, as dark horses coming into this tournament. Okay, Ericsson was, was clearly a key part in that. But I think that would be a, a key battle, actually, key for more against Simon Kerr. And, and just what we know about Kerr, not just in this tournament, but from what he's done in Serie A as well. I think he will relish that, that particular physical battle. And I would back him to negate that threat. But as Kevin says, they do have two genuinely well-cast players, Wales in, in Ramsey and Gareth Bowne. I think that's probably the difference, actually. If you look at Wales and you look at Scotland, who, of course, I was covering, Gareth Bowne has the potential were you, were you to be a match Scotland? winner. And he... <laughs> Did you hear that, Kev? <laughs> I didn't realise. We had not mentioned it. He hasn't mentioned that. But he is, he is someone who, with his aura and with what he's achieved in the game, does petrify opponents so if he's on song if, if Ramsey's on song yeah you give them an opportunity but as I say the the emotion that is carrying Denmark in this tournament the fact that the Danish fans will outnumber uh, their Welsh counterparts just because of the travel restrictions in place I think it is all going to come into play I think it's going to be a fantastic game um, live on TalkSport the one thing Wales mustn't do is lose concentration at set pieces we saw that Braille Embolo goal for the Swiss Denmark do pack a punch at set pieces, so they mustn't make mistakes in those scenarios. They've got to just stay in the game, build the platform upon which maybe Ramsey and Bale can shine. Netherlands against the Czech Republic is a huge game because the Netherlands have sort of bounded into this tournament with gay abandon, haven't they? And they've looked terrific at times, but they haven't had a real test. And actually, you know, the Czechs are very well organised, but they are limited. I'm not convinced that the Dutch are up there as main contenders the very best but they are growing into the tournament and they're the team that everybody wants to watch at the moment Crook I know that you'd worry about any team uh, in which Memphis Depay was their talisman Uh, that is a direct quote by the way Um, (laughs) but he's been terrific and and he's earned himself a little move as well yeah I mean no real surprise about that move but you're right I mean you sent his stats to me the other day was it nine goals or assists in his last 10 games he is someone who is clearly having a really positive impact on that Holland team. So is Wijnaldum, by the way. And it does baffle me a bit that Liverpool were, were so happy to let his contract run down. I, think I don't think they were happy, were they? I don't think they were happy. I think they tried to time to, but I think he wanted a move. And he's got well, a very was lucrative one, move, by the there way. There was one stage when they seemed happy just to let the situation drift on by. And I think they probably made Wijnaldum's mind up that he would seek pastures new. I like Dumfries as well, actually. Um, he, he played... Really That's well. Another Scots um, reference. There, there he goes again. <laughs> he can't help himself. <laughs> I wondered if you would pick up on that. But I still worry about Holland defensively, and that's stating the obvious, really, when you look at Virgil van Dijk's absence. But they have conceded goals. They have conceded chances in this tournament. I think they'll probably have enough to squeeze past the Czechs. But I've been really impressed with the Czech Republic um, in the couple of games that I've watched. That The West Ham pair, um, so foul and so Czech, so important for them. 
goal of the tournament for me from Patrick Schick, who is a real threat. And they've got a fantastic team spirit, a fantastic unity. So I could see them taking the Dutch close. I could see this going into extra time and, and maybe even penalties. I think the Dutch have done really well so far, but they effectively learning a new system on the job. Mm. And you can see that not when they go forwards or Van Aanholt down the left or Weindahl down the left and you've got Dumfries down the right. It's all very exciting. They're making chances, scoring goals. Wijnaldum's playing brilliantly. But my worry about them is as soon as they come up against a good side or a really good striker in Patrick Schick, you see those chances in transition. When their attacks break down, there are those little gaps that pop up when teams break. And so I think the Czechs, who are very, very well coached uh, by Shilavi, they'll just sit in and they'll just hit on the counter. And when you've got Schick's quality, that can make a difference. So the Dutch are rightful favourites, but I do think the Czechs have the potential to cause them a few problems. Yeah, it is fascinating that prior to the tournament, I don't think they really played that back five, had they? Frank de Boer then puts it in place. They go from 4-3-3, which is what the Dutch are screaming out for just before the tournament. We had Marcel on the show uh, on this particular pod beforehand saying that the back five is just, you know, the Dutch supporters just can't have it at all. But actually, it's looked quite fluid up until this point. Let's see what happens next. They take on the Czech Republic. Um, And of course... The winners of the Denmark-Wales game will play the winners of that Netherlands-Czech Republic game in a quarter-final. And that's in Baku, by the way. So there's quite an interesting scenario developing there with lots of travel for people like Wales and Denmark, Netherlands and the Czech Republic. The winners of the England-Germany last 16 game will play the winners of a huge tie at Hampden Park in which we're going to struggle to satisfy all of the ticket requests for uh, Sweden against Ukraine. Uh, Crook, you're commentating on this one, aren't you? I am. And uh, I'm more excited about it than clearly you are. You, you've had it down <laughs> as the, you know, the, the, the worst game of the last 16. I, don't I think it was, I think it would have been pick like eight from the TV companies. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> Is that why I've got it? Is that what you're saying? Um, I think Sweden have uh, surprised a few people in this tournament the way they doggedly dug in for a point against Spain I think even going into the last round of games most of us made Poland favourites to progress from that tie but they started on the front foot obviously stormed into a 2-0 lead didn't let their heads drop when Poland got back to 2-2 and still found a way to win the game and I think they have a goal threat in Forsberry is the the correct pronunciation it will be Forsberg on TalkSport 2 um, next Tuesday Isak up front was somebody that Kev picked out as a player to watch in this tournament. I've been impressed with him. And Ukraine as well have delighted us with some of the football they played in the group. So Jarmalenko looks like a totally different player to the one that is often injured for West Ham. So I think this is going to be a really good game. Scored a lot of goals already. I did worry for uh, Isak because he looked lively. But after 82 seconds when he was sent to the moon and back by Kamil Glick, I thought, is he going to get up from that? He did, which was, which, which was fortunate, I think. Um, that was the fastest goal, by the way, uh, in Euros history, scored after 82 seconds by Emil Forsberger, uh, otherwise known as Emil Forsberg, to everybody watching in the UK. Uh, right, let's move on quickly, because on the other half of the jaw, there is some big hitters. Belgium, Portugal, Italy, Spain and France. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Belgium against uh, Portugal, I think, is the pick of the ties on this side of the draw. Belgium, Portugal, Italy, Austria, Spain, Croatia, France, Switzerland. Uh, De Bruyne versus Ronaldo. I do have a bit of a, a pronunciation conundrum here, by the way. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk, let's put it out in the open. Obviously, we know, because we've spoken to him, uh, that the way you say Kevin De Bruyne's name is Kevin De Bruyne, right? But yep. no, and we all know it. He's done adverts on Talk Sport for a, for a shirt manufacturer in which he says, hello, I'm Kevin De Bruyne uh, and I wear this type of shirt. You should too, basically. So we've obviously called him Kevin De Bruyne as a result of the fact that he says it himself. But all the TV commentators call him De Bruyne. So when I'm doing this game, Portugal uh, against Belgium, live on ITV on Sunday night, I am a bit concerned about how to go. Kev, any advice? Go with De Bruyne. Absolutely. I've, I've been a De Bruyne for years. So uh, we're owning it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. Go for De Bruyne. Because, I mean, even when he was back in Germany with Wolfsburg and with Werder Bremen, he was asked in press conferences, oh, by the way, how do you say your name? And he said De Bruyne. So I've kind of stuck with that for years. It's yeah. a really difficult one. It's the whole Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes thing. Well, it's not but, even that, though, is it? Because I think, except, you know, we're never going to call him Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, no. are we? Because... Because obviously that's not how we speak, but actually... This one's you know, doable. This, this one's, one's doable. doable. It, is, it, is, it is part, you know, it is our lexicon. We can do Wave it. the flag, Sam, De Bruyne. You can be a part of the vanguard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, back to Belgium against uh, Portugal. <laughs> uh, and I've got to say, uh, Ronaldo scored three penalties, has he, at this tournament so far? Uh, but if you watch him, he doesn't seem to be able to take anyone on anymore. Not one-on-one. I mean, it just doesn't happen. 
his powers are fading, aren't they? I mean, he can still run. He's still a machine, but he's not what he once was. I mean, I looked, watched him in the Germany game. I watched him last night. And he just kept trying to take he trying to take, take on French defenders and getting nowhere near. Well, by the time catches up with all of us, doesn't it? But I thought he was really dogged uh, for winning the second penalty. Um, the, the handball, he could easily have given that up. So he's, what, what he lacks maybe in the ability to take on defenders now, he certainly hasn't lost that desire and that, and that determination. No, and and no, that absolutely. might just be enough um, to carry him over the winning line. But yeah, you're right. Certainly, he isn't the player of old, but that is inevitable. It annoys me that he keeps scoring these penalties because I've still got my Romelu Lukaku for top goal scorer betting slip and, and Ronaldo is doing his best to kibosh that at the moment but you're right this for me if you take away our you know patriotism this this is the best game in the last 16 uh, Belgium I think for me are still yet to show their full capabilities I think they coasted through an easy group as I expected without having to hit top gear I think Portugal look like maybe they're not quite the team that we expected them to be we were saying this is a better Portuguese squad than we've seen previously but I think yeah. there are vulnerabilities defensively so, if Belgium can hit top gear, I think they can get through this and it will be a real statement result for Roberto Martinez, who I'm told is on Tottenham's radar, by the way, after the tournament. But then, isn't everybody? I mean, I've got so my... So you, Crookie, I was going to say. I mean, I got a text message the other day. It says, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, your first interview for Tottenham Hotspur is available <laughs> now. Um, uh, yeah, uh, look, let's be completely honest about it. They've had issues, Portugal, in that right fullback area. They lost Cancelo. Semedo's just picked up an injury, and Diego Dalla, who wasn't even in the squad, had to come in during the game against France. I mean, if he is their first choice right back going into this last 16 game, I mean, Eddie Nazard, Torgan Nazard, whoever it is who plays out on that left hand side, is going to have a field day. Yeah, it is a concern for them. I quite like Dalla. I think you look at him. It didn't work out, that move to Manchester United. But I do think there's some real talent there. Semedo has been a concern defensively. I think he's been all over the place mm -hmm. defensively. So I'm not sure they're weaker defensively because Dallow's there. But it's a team that isn't quite right in terms of the balance between attack and defence. Yeah, and what Fernando Santos tried to do was he tried to get a couple of holding players in there in William Carvalho and Danilo and neither of them are playing particularly well and it just didn't work bringing in Renato Sanchez I think has been really important for them yeah. Danilo's because, been playing as a centre-back for most of the season hasn't he he's been playing yeah, for, back three for, yeah, PSG. for PSG so he went into it not in great form. William Carvalho didn't have a great season with Betis. So you had, that was a big, and Andy Brassel, uh, who we know very well, of course, he, he did pinpoint this ahead of the tournament. He, he said, the big worry for me is defensive midfield. And he's been proven absolutely right. Renato Sanchez, the thing that he does, he adds to the attack because he's mm -hmm. got this ability to burst past people. He can shoot from range. He can do all of that stuff. But also, he will work without the ball. And that's very important. And especially when he moves into those wide areas to try and protect the fullback, he actually does a really good job in there. So I think that's a big step for them to have brought him into the starting eleven. And I think he has to stay there, really. I agree with you about Ronaldo. How many people... You'd look at the top scorers list and you go, oh, Ronaldo's at the top. He must have been one of the top players at the tournament. <laughs> I don't think I'd even have him in the top 10. He's had about six touches and three yeah. of those have been penalties. <laughs> but he is an aura and he is what he is, is he's somebody that defenders think about. 
And what it does is it ties up defenders and it yeah. allows guys like Jota to do their thing, Bernardo Silva to do their thing. So he is important in that sense. And there's always a performance in him somewhere yes. to just kind of explode into life and bang, suddenly he's knocked the team out. So Belgium have to be ever so careful about this one. But, Alex, if Roberto Martinez is serious about taking Belgium to the title, this, this has got to be a Belgian victory because this is you know, the opportunity for the golden generation. They're on the toughest side of the draw, but if they're going to come good, now's the time. It's the last opportunity um, for the golden generation because there are big worries about them defensively um, and Portugal have enough attacking quality to exploit those. Um, I think ultimately it will come down to how much influence De Bruyne and Lukaku can have. And, and there have been times at this tournament when Lukaku has looked absolutely unplayable. I mean, when he's running at defenders, it must be like a steam train hurtling towards you. He's so powerful. He's so quick. Um, and I love the way that he put a, a Manchester United fan in his place on Twitter. I think Kevry tweeted it the other night saying yeah, he didn't have great. a first touch at, at Old Trafford. Not true, by the way. And I yeah. think he gets really disrespected does. Um, by Manchester United fans. Lukaku did well in a pretty average Manchester United team. And we're seeing now, in my opinion, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer probably made a mistake dispensing with his services so quickly. I think he could well be the difference maker, not just in this game, but in the tournament for Belgium. What I love about the way he's developed is that he's added that ability to play with his back to goal. He can bring others into play. If you look at the partnership he's had with Lautaro Martinez at Inter, very, very good with his work outside the box. But as you say, Crookie, when he gets moving, he's so difficult to stop. And I think he is really comfortable now using his body to just pin defenders and just say, right, get out my way. I'm going to, and you know, his turns are clever in the penalty area. His movement's really good. He's good in the air. He is close to as good as it can get in terms of a centre forward. I mean, you talk about Lewandowski, you talk about Harry Kane. He's right up there with centre forwards on the planet. He's close to as good as it gets. Um, the winner of Belgium-Portugal plays Italy in Munich. And Italy, obviously, have been everybody's team of the tournament so far. They rested eight players in their game against Wales, their final group game. So they'll be fresh for that match with Austria at Wembley on Saturday night. I don't think there's many of us that believe that Austria can withstand the Italian onslaught, do we? No, this is a tap-in for Italy. Um, I think it will be interesting when they come up against Belgium or Portugal because you look at the group, yes, they were the best team in the tournament in terms of uh, group stage victories and, and how convincing they were, but you need to scratch beneath the surface. Turkey underwhelmed. They were really poor. Stunk the place out. Um, Wales have done well to get into the knockout stages, but they're not going to pull up any trees beyond this stage. Um, and, and Switzerland, a lot yeah, of players I, I, who don't play regularly for their club. It's more impressive that they did beat those teams, especially the first two, easily, Kevin, because of the way those teams played against them, banking up and trying to stop them from opening up what was rigid back lines, when they play Belgium or Portugal, there's going to be more space for them to attack into. Yeah, and what I love about them is they can hurt you in lots of different ways. They can hurt you through midfield. They have wide forwards like Insigne that can do damage. A lot of talk about the centre forwards ahead of this tournament, but I like Immobile a lot. You look at the yeah. way he scores in, in big volumes for Lazio. Can he I think do it outside of Rome, though? Well, we'll find out. Well, we, I guess I guess we'll have to find out. But, I mean, his record for Lazio is just outrageous, really. Uh, I mean, he is an all-time great for them. I like Belotti as well. They've got guys that 
haven't really come to the party yet. I mean, Federico Chiesa, I think, is a terrifically talented player. But obviously, Berardi has been ahead of him. So it's a really good battle that, uh, on that right-hand side. It's a cliche, but I think it's true. It feels like a club side. There does feel like a real togetherness there. It feels like everybody knows their job. They're quite happy with their roles. And there's a good bit of competition in places. The one thing I'd say about Austria, and I agree, they are massive outsiders here. But it's a bit of a free hit for them because they went into this tournament with a big cloud over them. Lots of doubts about the coach, Franco Foda, and whether yeah. it was the right formation, whether he was too negative. And people who watch Austria a lot were gobsmacked by the performance against Ukraine. They did not see that coming at all. They were much more proactive, much more aggressive. And I think even if Italy win this game against Austria they might have a few bruises because you look at the work rate of guys like Lima, Zabitzer, Baumgartlinger, they're going to make them work for this. So Italy may well get through, but it's going to be a tough game for them physically. And it will be the biggest game of the Austrians' lives, won't it? I mean, oh, completely. There's, there's, yeah. Yeah, they've never got, they hardly ever win a game in a knockout. They hardly ever win a game in a major tournament, let alone get to the knockout stages. Well, Zabitz has already said, I mean, this is a guy who's played a Champions League semi-final and he was asked, is this the biggest game of your career? And he went, absolutely. Yeah, you know, no you doubt. play at Wembley, you know, all the history that Wembley has playing in a knockout game for Austria. So they are really excited about this. And the pressure has just been lifted off them because all of the negativity by qualifying has just evaporated. And they're thinking, right, nobody thinks we can win it. We can just give it a real go. You never know. Spain against Croatia is another big uh, meeting of two giants of European football. And Spain just don't want to have a penalty again, do they? I mean, six of the 11 penalties taken at Euro 2020 have been missed. It's outrageous, really, isn't it? How can you miss so many penalties? But they've missed two of them, Spain, uh, from two different kickers as well. And they take on a Croatia team who you saw on Tuesday night, Crook, um, I mean, Spain haven't been perfect. I mean, they dispatched a very poor Slovakia team with a little bit of a helping hand from Martin Dubravka. <laughs> what do you think about Croatia's chances? I think we've been talking about England as a team who will improve and almost feel their way into the tournament. And I think you could say exactly the same against Croatia. Of the group stage matches that I watched, and I watched every game in that group, barring England against the Czech Republic, the Croatian performance against Scotland at Hampden Park was the most impressive. Um, Scotland were very naive. They played it at 110 miles an hour. They were a bit prehistoric, to quote Graham Sunez, in lumping balls up to Lyndon Dykes and hoping he would flick it on. And Croatia just used all their experience, and they are one of the most experienced teams in the competition in terms of international appearances, just to lull them into a false sense of security and pass them to death in the second half. And they have two world-class players in Luka Modric, who ran that game at Hamden, and Perisic, who's been outstanding um, in this tournament. He's now uh, level with Davo Suke uh, as the Croatians' record goal scorer. Same age as Davo Suke, isn't he? <laughs> well, I mean, Luka Modric looks like he could play until he's 70. He's, he's a Rolls-Royce of a player, and it was a stunning goal that he scored. But there were a couple of big tactical tweaks as well that Zlatko Dalic made in that game against Scotland. Most notably, a change at right-back where Vyshalko has been such an important player for mm. them. He was biffed out. Josip Juranovic came in, made the opening goal, had a really impressive game at right fullback. He dispensed with Andre Kramaric as well. 
um, and uh, brought in Nikola Vlasic, who scored the opening goal. So it was almost a perfect game plan from Zlatko Dalic. And I think they will get better and better. And I think they'll beat Spain. I, th- I think if Modric can have as much control in midfield as he had against Scotland, I think Croatia will come through this. Also getting better and better as the tournament go on. I think you could probably label that at France who take on Switzerland. They're doing what they always do, Kevin, is warm up as they go through the tournament. Look, I can't see this going any other way than a Swiss pummeling because they, I mean, they're unambitious, aren't they? They're, Petkovic has had the same team, same crop of players for about, it feels like about 20 years, but it's <laughs> yeah. not. It's about six or seven. And apart from, I mean, Seferovic scored a terrific goal the other, the other day from outside the penalty. But he never scores from inside the box. I mean, he'll have 20 chances seven yards out and he'll miss them. And then he'll score a worldie like that from outside the area. He's a real problem for them. But I'm not entirely sure they'll get too many chances against a France team who've just got weapons all over the park. Yeah, I think the game against Italy is probably a signpost here because they, they came up short in that game, and I would mm. expect them to do that again. And this is what they do. They, they qualify for tournaments, they get through the group, and then they get knocked out in the, the first knockout round. And I would expect that to happen to them again. <laughs> France, I think, have played within themselves. I think they did against Germany. I think against Hungary, they were taken by surprise to an extent by the ferocity of that Hungarian performance, but they still made chances and still should have really won the game. I thought they probably should have beaten Portugal as well, actually, and it was only a brilliant double save by Rui Patricio that actually kept them out because Pogba had that shot touched onto the frame of the goal and then a brilliant second save from Griezmann. So I think France have still got a couple of gears. I think Pogba has been supreme absolutely good his his passing his awareness his strength just the whole lot I mean I still haven't quite got over the pass for Luca Hernandez for the the own goal for Hummels against it was Germany sensational that was outside of the boot brilliant crossfield pass pinpoint magic absolute magic at uh, one bone of contention I've got and one thing I highlighted I think in the pre-tournament pod the thing that scares me the most about France is their goalie he is yeah. reckless and he came out, punched Danilo in the head the other night. And, and one or two people were asking, why is that a penalty? Well, it's a penalty because he doesn't get the ball. He just tries to take the head off Danilo. But also, he comes out with his arm stretched like with, with, a, with a closed fist, misses the ball. The ball actually gets headed by Danilo onto his hand and then he follows through into the face of Danilo and then he bends his arm and his elbow almost comes out into the draw the jaw of Danilo I mean it was really reckless and he was very very lucky I think that the tolerance level at this tournament is so high because it was a definite penalty and on another day it could have been a lot worse yeah, it was dangerous play from, from Ugo Lloris, and he does have those lapses in concentration, those errors of judgment, maybe a bit of the David James about him, where because uh, France is so good going forward, he's, he's not as involved in matches as perhaps he would like to be. So therefore, when he does get the opportunity to get involved, he, he makes rank bad decisions. I think you're right. If that happened in a, in a Premier League game, he, he would have probably been heading for a straight red card. So it, it is a concern, but that concern is outweighed by the, um, the amount of attacking ability that France have. And we haven't really seen the best of Kylian Mbappe yet, have we? I think he's still waiting to burst into this tournament and produce a a man of the match display. I think with Lloris, what's important to remember is, I agree with you guys. I think if you were thinking about the elite bracket of goalkeepers, he's not in it. He's absolutely not in it. But they see him as such an important leader for this team. And I think there's so much belief in him 
as a guy, as a goalkeeper in general, he will make mistakes, but he'll also dig you out of trouble at times. And the data guys will tell you that in terms of what he's expected to concede and what he actually concedes makes him out to be a very good goalkeeper. You know, I think they, they allow that. What's going to be interesting for them going forwards in terms of their goalkeeping situation, Mike Mignon has just had a brilliant season for Lille and has just won uh, Liga. Mm. And I think he is going to seriously challenge Lloris going forward. So I don't think this will be his last international tournament with France, but going beyond the World Cup, I'd be surprised to see him still in goal for them. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Kev. Thank you very much, uh, Alex. Um, nice to see you back uh, wearing an England shirt. I'm sure that it'll be a Germany one by Wednesday if uh, England lose. Um, and that's it from us. We're back on Monday ahead of the England game with Trevor Sinclair, looking back on the Wales and Denmark game and the Belgian-Portugal fixtures. Plus, we will bring you the latest news as England look to do something they haven't done since 1966. No, not lift a trophy, just beat the Germans in the knockout stages. Auf Wiedersehen. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.